Traveling the Vortex. We've joined the Doctor as he defends this podcast under siege in episode 489. I'm Keith. I'm Sean. I'm Glenn. How are you guys? Pretty good. You guys do anything this week? Anything fun? Keith, you start. Nope. (laughs) (laughs) Not that I can think of. Sean, what about you? Um, no, we really, uh, we, we had a, a very busy full weekend, uh, working on a, uh, a yard project that's been kind of in our, our minds for a while. We are putting in a, a new patio with some paver stones and just because we want a, a place to be able to sit and enjoy, you know, and, uh, so we, I got purchased a fire pit, which arrived and uh, we went and got our paver stones and after much debate over where they were going, um, <laughs> finally picked them up and they're going along the side of the house. We're basically extending out the patio that's already there. That sounds like fun. Um, no, <laughs> no, no. That it, sounds it's, like it's a fun. project that'll be fun once you're done with it. When we're done with it, there, there you, you go. go. Yeah. No, it was very much a matter of, I, I hemmed and hawed for probably longer than I needed to because it's one of those, I know me. I know that I am a hopeless home improvement person. I love the idea of these things. I loathe actually doing them. And it doesn't matter how excited I am. I'm not very good at it. And so we talked about it and, you know, whether we were going to hire somebody or this side or the other and just decide, hey, it's just paver stones. How hard can this be? <laughs> looks like you got a pretty even and straight from the pictures on Facebook. Yeah, uh, uh, Billy uh, came over, and uh, he and Mel wound up tackling the majority of the work. We started at about 11 o'clock Sunday morning, and they finished the last row at about 8.30, 9 o'clock Sunday night. So it was a full day of moving stuff and digging up dirt and uh, and all that jazz. And I was good for about the first two hours and then kind of tapped out because my hands hurt and my back hurt. And so I kept tabs on shy and they did all the work and I feel miserable and emasculated. So, <laughs> <laughs> but we got about half of uh, where that's, that's all the stones that we had, but it's about half of the distance that we're looking to, to, to take it out to. Sean, look at it this way. In two more years, you could just say your age is the, so I'm just too old for that anymore. Well, there's the young know. people to do it. <laughs> I, I am I am rapidly reaching the point where there's many things on my list. It's like, mm, no. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to sitting on this. But between you, me, and the listeners, don't nobody tell Mel, this is forwarding my private agenda to get a hot tub. <laughs> because now we will have a place to put it yeah. and a need for it. Because she is stiff and sore today, <laughs> so you I've used every opportunity. The patio, you need you could fit a hot tub there. Yeah, that's gonna be a big patio. Gonna be nice. And we don't live, and we don't own this place, so that's. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. let, let me tell you about that conversation. But uh, no, so that that was the that ate up the majority of our weekend was was dealing with all of that. I didn't really do anything either. I, um, I think I this was a couple weeks back, and I think I forgot to to mention I uh, 
listened to Big Finish's adaptations of Love and War and The Highest Science, which are two Seventh Doctor... Well, Love and War is a Seventh Doctor, Ace, and Bernice Summerfield's story. And that's the in the it's an adapt, adaptation of the novel New Adventures novel, and that's the one that introduces Bernice Summerfield. That one's by Paul Cornell, and so mm-hmm. I had read it. You know, I think last year or the year before, uh, both of those stories I'd read uh, just within the last year or two. So I went ahead and decided to listen to them, and I really had no, I had no. I had no expectations that they would be able to adapt these two particular stories very well because they're very high-minded, very complex stories. And I don't remember, was it Jacqueline Rayner? I can't remember who adapted these, but she does a fantastic job. And in fact, there's very little left out of Love and War, which amazed me. And there is just one or two elements left out of uh, the highest science, which I think actually made it better that they weren't there. So really, yeah. <laughs> so uh, I was really impressed, and I'm looking forward to us, you know, in in 15 years getting to those, and <laughs> <laughs> getting to find out what you guys think of them because they're yeah, they're both truly a not so subtle jab there. <laughs> They're both terrific books, and now they were both terrific audios as well. So, I've got a few more on the list, but I'm going to have to read the books before I move on to those. Uh, the other thing I did is I watched um, uh, Godzilla versus Kong. Oh man, that was a fun movie. That was <laughs> so much fun. I and I did. I you had said there's still too much human factor to it i think there's a there's less human factor in this one than there is in any of the previous movies before now it's it's still there there's still you know character arcs for the people the humans but it's it's very minimal compared to the amount of you know uh monster on monster fighting action you get in the in the film so yeah no i agree with that it's the, the the human stuff is there and it's I, I mean realistically any amount of human interaction is too much for a monster movie for me but <laughs> see i just dis- i disagree because i think if i think people and myself even included as much as i like monster films i think you could easily get bored with monster action without those little pads of break and you also it's really hard to sympathize with a monster that hasn't been developed through the eyes of the humans in the in the story and I think that that helps sympathize with the the beasts. And so, well, I think there there are times when they go overboard with the human element. I think that you have to have it, if any, you can strike a good balance. And I think this movie strikes a good balance, if not a better balance, by tipping it the other way a bit. It also helps that, I mean, in, in, in true Godzilla fashion, the humans when they show up pretty much do the i'm a human in a godzilla movie meaning i'm showing up strictly to spout out huge chunks of exposition and watch and watch <laughs> from afar in wide-eyed amazement <laughs> as another or, or die <laughs> right right that was the other thing too uh spoilers little minor spoilers they end up in hong kong at one point and i went finally i mean gosh how long did it take them to get godzilla back to his home oh wait a minute that's tokyo 
never mind. <laughs> and I, I really, for like most of the time that they were in Hong Kong, I thought, I, I was thinking, oh, finally, it's about time that they, and then it occurred to me, nope, these are Japanese films, not Chinese films. <laughs> oh. So my. I imagine uh, by now the novelty has worn off in Tokyo. Probably. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you would just think one, one time, <laughs> one time. Uh, let's see. Uh, we watched uh, another. Mo- well, we watched Avengers this weekend, so we're up to that now. And I think, I think that's it. I did, uh, I watched uh, Pitch Perfect, which I honestly had never seen all the way through. I'd seen pieces of it, but it's a it's a funny little movie. I liked it too. That's what I've heard also, good things about. I've not seen it either. Glenn was also a very good sport and joined me over on Tartar Sauce this week for a Torchwood discussion. Mm-hmm. Oh. And so, uh, yeah. <laughs> I was the anti-apologist. If, if you're in a mind for some really good gritchen. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I kind of railed it back. I thought I was, I thought it was pretty... I thought you it was did. pretty you, subtle. You, you, <laughs> you, you were well-behaved. <laughs> yes, there you go. Well-behaved. That's probably the better hat. All right. Well, should we move on to our uh, discussion topic this week? Sean, you want to set us up a little bit? You kind of came up with this idea. Oh, joy. Um, well, as I think any Doctor Who fan worth their salt, calling themselves a fan knows, um, one of the tropes, as it were, with the show is the base under siege story where you have alien or unknown force X attempting to gain access to location Y, where our heroes are, and we have until time frame Z to get out of it. And uh, Doctor Who, I think, has used it certainly more frequently than just about any genre series. Particularly in the second Doctor era. Um, But I think also, to to great effect, I I think it's a story that, uh, I mean... It's a story archetype that works, I think. Um, and you know, you don't find it just in genre stuff. I mean, obviously, Die Hard. That's a base under siege story. Home Alone, base under siege story. Sure, they have Christmas trappings because they're both excellent Christmas movies. But they're, uh, you know, at, at their core, it's bad guys trying to get into a place. So it's it's a, it's a trope that's been around. hell. Uh, the Three Hundred Spartans. I mean, this is an old story. <laughs> well, now I, I think you're, I think you're oversimplifying it. But I mean, I think those have elements of base under siege. But I think base under siege has to hit pretty much at least three different criteria. And I think base under siege has to be from almost like at least seventy percent of the piece has to be in a base under siege or in a situation where you've got an invading or or uh, infiltrating. Uh, antagonist. So I think the majority of it has to be in order to classify it as base under siege. Now, I think you could make the argument for Die Hard to a certain point because it all does take place at one location. So I'll give aliens. you I'll give you Die Hard. Uh, yeah, Aliens is a, is a great example. I think uh, mm-hmm. the, the Thing is a great example. Uh, you know. Yeah. So yeah, there there are you know really good examples out there, but I think you have to be careful when you when you're applying it to you know a, a little too liberally. Yeah, I don't know if I'd classify Die Hard since it's w- more a guy trying to infiltrate a hostage situation. But Home Alone definitely would apply the base under siege model. <laughs> See, I'm the, I'm, the, I'm the complete opposite on that one. 
I, I think that the reason why Die Hard is based under siege is because there's very little influence from the outside. It's all internal. Whereas Home Alone, there's a lot it's of... Really not until the last half Right. Hour. There's a lot of setup. There's a lot of exposition. There's a lot of, of getting to that point. And there's so little of base under siege in it that I just don't think it... I don't think it qualifies. It's def- it's more of a defending the perimeter, <laughs> <laughs> which base under siege can be. But <laughs> so, what do you think? What what makes a good base under siege story, Keith? Uh, I think part of what makes a good base under siege story includes having a mystery at the beginning of not knowing who is going to be attacking um making sure the tension is nice and high uh that's a a key point is the high tension and your stress level should be fairly high when it's a base under siege of how are they going to get out of this how are they going to defend this base from getting attacked um and I think to some extent the resolution is a, is a key point too. If it's too easily taken care of, then it's not a very good base under siege story in my opinion. Right. Or the enemy could have been dispatched early on. Right. Sean, what do you think? Um, for me, it's the, um, I, I think all those things apply. I think he's right. I think the tension level has to be there. Um, and it, it has to be while the, the basic elements of group of characters stuck in a confined space with enemy or enemies, you know, trying to get them. Um, but I think the, the telling of the tale is probably the best way to utilize that. And and when you have some, I mean, one of my favorite stories in in the doctor who range is, you know, horror Fang rock. We've it's isolated. We're remote. We're on an Island. We're in a lighthouse. So it's not just that, you know, it's not like we have a whole base. We have a building and it's a vertical one. Most of it is stairs. So there's not a lot of potential places to hide or have combat. And there's a thing and it's coming and it's, it's here and people are dying. And you know, th- those to me are all of those great suspense elements that really play into it. I think I concur. I think you both have made really great examples of it. I think one of the things also that, while maybe not necessary, but does help, is to have a story where the leader of said base or station is either incapacitated or insane or unreasonable or ill-equipped for the situation. And in Doctor Who's case, the Doctor's always having to work with, say, a second-in-command. So a good example of that would be the wheel in space um, when the, you know, the, the main guy's almost just he's he's just a little unhinged and he's also ignoring the idea or ignoring the fact that there's there's a problem. And I think another one that 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 is the same uh, that goes along the, uh, it, you know, incapacitated uh, head person would be uh, the uh, uh, 13th Doctor uh, Syringa conundrum. Yeah, Saranga Conundrum. Saranga Conundrum. That would be another one I think would be a good example. And I think that that makes also a, a good, at least Doctor Who based under siege move, uh, uh, story, is when the Doctor is, where a second in command is sort of put in the leadership role as well. Excellent so, points. 
so is it good for drama does it does it make for good drama does it does it does it in does it benefit the story to make a base under siege sean i say yes i mean when, when you when you look at it, a base under siege story at its core is is survival I mean, it kind of boils things down. You can add all kinds of different trappings to it, but at, at its core, it's we have to last the night. We have to last until help arrives. We have to defeat the bad guys, but we only have this. I mean, there, there's so many different little things that you could twist and turn your way through the story that while the structure and the um, trappings may be very similar, if not outright the same from segment to segment, within the Doctor Who universe, certainly. Um, I think you can still put enough of a spin on it on how you utilize those trappings. They're tools in the in the toolbox, as it were. And I know some fans get very, oh, man, it's another Basin Under Siege story. We've already seen this. And I genuinely get giddy with excitement most of the time because I, I think it's a good formula. I think it's one that really can drive the drama if it's done well. Now, certainly there are... There are exceptions. There are ones that uh, you know may miss the mark, as it were, but uh, or or ones that we love that are you know problematically with how they're handled. Warriors of the Deep, looking at you. Um, <laughs> can that can that be a hindrance though? I mean, I think Doctor Who. I think I read has some almost thirty-five different stories that are considered <laughs> base under siege. Does it? Does it? Is it a hindrance to? A, a genre or a particular medium like Doctor Who, um, where pe- where fans do react to that. Oh, it's another base under siege. Or do you think that? I think, I think I, I would argue that in the Second Doctor's era, it was probably overused. I think it was overused for a reason. I think it, I think it's it it makes for a cheaper, uh, more budgetary uh, shoot. Uh, I think it also makes for. Uh, tightening up your your writing as far as you know character development and things like that there's a lot not a lot you have to count on uh when when developing the characters around surrounding your your uh, uh, protagonists and i but i think that i think the second doctor era probably was a little overdone and i think i would argue that it was overdone in the 10th doctor era as well and not so much not in the second doctor era i think it was overdone in such a way that a lot of the stories started to look the same because the trappings were pretty much the same. Whereas the 10th Doctor era, they were really good about disguising the fact that it was a base under siege story until you got most of the way through it and you went, oh, this is a base under siege story. So I think the 10th Doctor's era did it better, but in, in at least disguising that they were doing it. But I think those are two eras that I think it was probably maybe done to the point where fans started going, oh, another, you know, this, this it becomes one of those really uh, grating Doctor Who tropes and, and people start to uh, surmise the entire era, the entire the entirety of Doctor Who uh, around this, oh, well, it's, it's a base under siege show. What do you think, Keith? I think, I think you're right that there has been, a there was a lot in the second Doctor's era and some of that familiarity and repetitiveness can be a bit off-putting for some people and some of the best base under siege stories are ones where you don't realize it's a base under siege story until you stop and think about it after the episode was over and you go oh yeah that was totally a base under siege story but to i think paint all of doctor who with a wide brush saying you know oh there's a whole lot of base under siege 
I just crunched the numbers real quick, and according to TARDIS Wiki, uh, there's 33 out of 296. Right, right. <laughs> that's 11%. I mean, that's not a large amount of as Doctor Who that's actually... The reason why it feels that way is because there's such a large clumping in the second Doctor's era. I think that's true, too, but I think also 10% of, of 100 here doesn't sound like a lot, but when you compare it to the averages of other series, it's probably a lot less for other series. So, and maybe not, I, I don't know. I'm not familiar. <laughs> I'm not familiar with Babylon five or Stargate or those kind of things, but yeah. I know that it's not, it's not a, I think there are bottle episodes within other genres, but I don't think we've seen a lot of base under siege with like Star Trek. I mean, as many we've seen them, don't get me wrong. They're there. And maybe Sean could speak to this more, but I think the percentage is probably smaller in a lot of other genres. As with most things, I think it depends on the on the show. Um, Firefly, uh, what's the name of it? Heart of Gold. Yeah, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. that is, is essentially a base on a sea strike. Now, sure. if we look at Firefly as well, thirteen episodes. <laughs> it's almost ten percent. <laughs> your percentage is about the same, if not higher. That's true. Yeah. Um, that's so you know, and, and for for a show that has run. I mean, again, that's that's an exception to the rule, asterisk. But for a show that has been on the air for 50-some-odd years, it's kind of amazing that only 10% of them are, are based under siege in a way. Because certainly with a, with a show of this type, while the universe is your playground, you're going to wind up recycling some ideas. Yeah. yeah. Uh, solar flares, anyone? Uh, <laughs> but... <laughs> It, it, it just, it's just inevitable that it's going to kind of happen, that you're going to get that, uh, I don't want to necessarily say creative rot, but you're, you're going to wind up borrowing or stealing or, uh, you know, basing episodes on episodes and, and things of that nature. And it's funny that the, the, the Second Doctor era is so you know, maligned in a way for the sheer number of them. When there is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, according to TARDIS Wiki, stories that would count as base under siege stories within the second Doctor's era. But the tenth Doctor's era has nine. And so it's, it, you know, pound for pound, right up there. Right. Uh, as far as quantity. Now, again, the styling, the how you tell that story oh, you tricked me into not realizing that one does count as a base under sea story. That accounts for a lot of it versus the second Doctor's era. And I'm sure you're right, Glenn. I'm sure it was purely done as a cost-saving measure because um, you lock them into one location. You don't have to worry about a lot of, you know, you, have to, you don't have to build a lot. <laughs> right. And if you paint the corridors a different color, you can reuse that again next week. Yeah. <laughs> um, Lost in Space was famous for that. <laughs> so there, there's definitely uh, things. And what I think is kind of interesting is when looking at this list, I, I'm, I'm kind of nodding my head uh, at, at the selections. They're going, oh, of course, of course, of course. And, and it's kind of surprising that, well, maybe they learned their lesson because after Seeds of Death, which was kind of the last of the second Doctor Base Under Siege story, we don't see one again until, at least according to this, Ark in Space in the fourth Doctor's right, era. right. And then Horror Fang Rock, and then Warriors of the Deep in the Fifth Doctor, and then we don't get any for the rest of the original classic series run. Well, it's be, not until to be fair, End eight, of the World. Eight didn't get a chance, but well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. now I think it's you not, can also. I think there's also probably if you if you dipped into Big Finish in this, I think you could probably find base under siege for every any every incarnation of the Doctor. If oh, we, I'm if sure. We were to add those in as well. 
I think another reason it feels like there's even more in the, even though there is a lot in the second Doctor's era, it feels like there's more than the tenth Doctor's era because the stories were also longer. So it feels yeah. like you're dealing yeah. with more base under siege because there's more hours of content there. Exactly, it took way longer to deal with said threat than in the tenth Doctor episode. For well, sure. and I think that goes back to what I was saying about a lot of the trappings are very, very similar and familiar. I mean, it's claustrophobic. Um, you know, metallic bases uh, on the moon or in the Arctic, that kind of thing. So in space, I think that that's why it's it's so obvious in the second Doctor's era where it's maybe a little more subdued or disguised in the 10th Doctor. It's I, And I suppose it's very fair to say, too, that, you know, one man's trash is another man's treasure. The, uh, the, the diehard template became such a, a well-regarded, uh, you know, I mean, Die Hard's a well-made movie any way you slice it, whether you're a fan or a Christmas or whatever you want to, you know, it's just a well-made movie. So well made that it became the archetype for a lot of movies that followed it. And you hear people describe things like Die Hard on a bus. Right. And and everybody knows what I'm talking yeah, about. Speed. Yep. Right. Die Hard on a plane. Die Hard in a, and you just insert segment here. So in a lot of ways, because of that formula, Hollywood's been dipping into it forever, and in a weird way, they're all based under siege stories. <laughs> they just have different trappings. They've you know done something, doing something different. So now it becomes what people are complaining. Oh, well, that's just Die Hard in a blah blah blah. That's Die Hard on a battleship. Die Hard in a submarine. Die Hard. On, you know, we, we've had that story, and so you kind of see that same thing. And you know, could Hollywood defend itself by saying, "Yeah, but if you look at the total number of films we put out this year, <laughs> yeah." It's only ten percent. <laughs> it's only ten percent. Die hard on a. So I, it, it can be argued the same way. I yeah, think, but, but I think the I think the problem that you have with that is, and and it, I suppose there's some of the same Doctor Who's guilty of some of the same things, but with Hollywood, a lot of times it's it's the repeating the formula because it made money the first time, not necessarily because it was a good story, not necessarily because it was, you know, structured in such a way that's easy. A lot of times it's how can we copy this really successful thing and just make, you know, photocopy after photocopy and make cookie cutter movies. And I think that's what I think people get frustrated with because if it's a good base under siege story, you shouldn't be able to go, Oh, that's diehard on a, I think speed is one of those ones that I think is unfairly, pointed to and i think it's because speed comes so soon after die hard i think that speed well not even it was a few years after but speed i think is unfairly pointed to because it is a innovative and it 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 moved the building and to me that was smart enough you know it put the building in motion and i think that that was enough to set it apart so i think that's unfair but you're right sean there's there are a lot of them that go you know this is die hard on a and insert you know movie title here or movie location here is there a secret is there a secret to making a good base under siege story is there if you could dig through and find the secret recipe what are some of the key ingredients that are that are you know make the make it i don't, I don't mean specifically in, in overviews i mean i want to drill down to certain points that make a good base under siege story i think one thing that makes a good base under siege story is an inside threat also having the threat from the outside but then having to deal with something on the inside as well like 
in Seeds of Death or uh, Ark in Space, where you have this alien taking over bodies and then the aliens trying to get into the space station too. That sort of thing. I think it makes a really good story. Yeah, a collaborator, a infiltrator of some sort that's already in there. You know, oh no, they're out there and in here at the same time. How we do, how do we deal with that sort of thing? That that makes a good story. I would agree. That's good. Sean, I enjoy a, I enjoy a ticking clock. Um, usually with a giant red digital readout. Um, <laughs> if it's it's not enough for me to. I mean, it is because I love them, but it, it, you know, okay, we bad guy trying to get in. Okay. That's, that's a thing. Now let's add in. Oh, but if bad guy gets in before this, then this happens. Oh, okay. So now we're on a schedule. We've got to hit, you know, or you, you get locked into that kind of thing. Oh, the base is going to blow up. The self-destruct has been pressed or the, you know, we, we have to last until help arrives at this time. Okay. You know, now I'm, because I'm, I'm watching the clock with you. And I think that's an an easy way to kind of dribble a little more tension into things. I would agree. And I, I'm, I'm going to cheat just a little bit because I think the secret to a good base under siege story, and we talked a little bit about the long form of Doctor Who in the early days, I think uh, having cliffhangers very, very mm-hmm. much serves a base under siege story well. It's something that it's not as easily done in a movie. I think it can be done in a movie, but in a series like the classic series of Doctor Who, where you would have, you know, at least three cliffhangers, different cliffhangers in a four part series or, or more in, in longer uh, form series, uh, I think a good cliffhanger in a base under siege is makes it that it, it adds to that tension, it adds to that suspense, and it adds to that, um, impending peril and doom for our uh, our uh, heroes i also like remote locations mm. um you, you can do it uh web of fear i think is probably a, a a very famous example i mean we're in london we're in the heart of london in the underground but we've cut it off the web has effectively created this isolated area and and, that, and that's kind of a cool way of doing it um the uh, isolation again, the, is key, otherwise you can't take it seriously. Yeah, Horror Fang Rock with the lighthouse, or uh, you know, Warriors of the Deep with being so many fathoms underground, yeah. or underwater, or the moon. <laughs> well, <laughs> Certainly then, the moon base would count. <laughs> I think the more isolated and out of touch with you know the rest of the outside world, I think the better. Yeah. Well, and it goes to, you know, when you look at um, Seeds of Doom... Uh, which, you know, we've all talked about how much we love that one. And the way it opens with the first two episodes being this very thing from another world feel. I mean, you're, you're in the Antarctica. You, you can't, it's, it's, it's not like hopping in the car and driving away from the problem. You're kind of stuck there. Uh, and so that's part of the brilliant move of getting the Doctor and Sarah Jane down there. You're going to take a plane. We're not going to let you use the TARDIS. You're going to have to deal with mundane methods right, right but then to suddenly switch and go over to this four part or the, you know the other four parts being in the house which yeah, i guess in a way is also based under siege but it's, it's yeah. certainly a different feel to it right um you know it, it's it suddenly becomes a lot less if you can pick up the phone and call for help right. but when you pick up the phone and say the line's gone dead oh now we're in trouble i mean it just <laughs> 
Um, that isolation is key. Yeah. Is there a difference between Base Under Siege and Ghost of the Machine? Keith? Can you define Ghost of the Machine? Well, Ghost of the Machine is usually a threat from interior, you know, something within a unit, and, and, it, and it could be within an isolated station or something like that. Sean, help me out here. Help me describe Ghost oh, of the Machine. Oh, I, I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, the... I think you have to have an external force trying to get in uh, to make it a true base under siege. Like this, um, this list I'm looking at has the Tomb of the Cybermen as a base under siege. And I don't necessarily view that as a base under siege. Yes, there's a group of people in a small, isolated, confined area, but there's no aliens trying to get in. It's mostly the aliens the Cybermen trying to get out. So it does the aliens that, trying to get out. <laughs> that that fits the ghost in the machine, I think, scenario. That, yeah. It's almost a reverse base under siege. Right. Because you're trying to keep them in, whereas opposed to they're in, sorry, instead of trying to keep them out. So I, I think there can be elements of base under siege to a ghost in the machine, but I think it really has to have that external force of them trying to get to somebody on the inside. Yeah. Sean, what do you think? Yeah, I, I mean, I suppose something like, um, oh, I've forgotten the name of it. What's the third Doctor story uh, that's just the two-parter? Oh, uh, thir- third Doctor story? Second, uh, first Doctor. First Doctor. Oh, uh, that's... Uh, Unearthly Child Daleks. Yeah, Edge, Edge of, of Destruction. Destruction. Edge of Destruction. In a way, Edge of Destruction is a very ghost in the machine kind of you know because it's it's the different elements of that are happening that's driving everybody nuts yeah and it's because of the you know whatever ghost has actually infiltrated the tardis it's well with you know mechanical problem um it's also a bottle show right right but it's not a base under siege because they're only at siege within their own minds right you know there there is no external something or another so um but well, I so, say, I suppose you, you, you can make the argument that, oh, I just lost it. There's another one that's kind of a similar setup, but there's not really an an outside force, but it's already in there with them. Well, what about, da- what about Dalek? Know? What about Dalek? Where the, it's not an invading force. It's not something coming from the outside. It's something that awakens within. Is that more ghost in the machine or is that more base under siege? I think that's more ghost in the machine. Because of the eternal internal threat. Same. It's it's kind of this Dalek version of Tomb of the Cybermen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In a way, I mean, it'd be similar to the original Alien, where it's already on the ship, and we're just, you know, we're we're either hunting it down, it becomes a bug hunt, or it's a, you know, ten millennials that's knocking us off. But I guess I suppose under that logic, you could also say, um, uh, horror fang rock could fall under that because well, for a good chunk of it, the shapeshifters in there with them. Yeah. But it's still, it gets it's still an, because, ex, yeah, it's still an external threat that becomes an internal threat, but you could argue that with Dalek as well. But yeah. Um, it, so I guess still an external threat if they invited in, <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess, I guess based on those descriptions, I think, some ghosts in the machines can be base under siege. Some base under siege can be some ghost machines, as in the same way that I think some base under siege uh, could be considered bottled episodes, but not every bottled episode is a base under siege. So yeah, 
Yeah. Do we do we think it's a bad thing? I mean, at its core, I mean, I've I've, I've argued definitely for that. It, it's it's a, it's a good dramatic element. Um, I, but is it bad? Does Doctor Who rely on it too much? I think it could be a. I can think it can be a tired trope, especially if it's used continually and in, in rapid succession near each other. I think that is one of the things that the second Doctor error suffers from is we have a lot of back-to-back, or not even back-to-back, but very close to uh, stories that are very based under siege. And I also think where I was, I, was, I, was, I was arguing for it earlier that a lot of times you don't have to focus on character development. It also can be a lazy way for a an author or a writer to write a story so that they're kind of hitting all of the key points and then maybe not thinking outside the box if they can hit all the key points and introduce other elements that you maybe not didn't think of or different you know bring in a, another idea or turn a base on it uh, you know base under siege on its head then all credit to them but i think it can be very limiting for an, for a writer and can be almost a crutch at times i would agree with pretty much everything glenn said i can see that I can agree with that. There, there, there are elements to them that I enjoy so much that I don't care that they're a crutch, especially if they're done well. It's so easy for me to fanboy hand wave it and just go, yeah, don't care. Um, <laughs> I mean, in, in my mind, if I were to pen the perfect episode, it would be a base under siege story. And, and not only that, the title would come up in that thing from another world font <laughs> and the title of the episode would be Base Under Siege. <laughs> I, would, I, would just, I would just run with it, you know. Just really how, lean how into many, it. How many tropes can we shove into this thing and still make it work <laughs> before it breaks under the weight of them? Um, but again, I'm, 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 a, I'm, a, I'm a simple guy with simple pleasures. So, <laughs> Well, and, and, you know, if I look at the list, there's a number of them on here are, are some of my favorite stories. Tomb of the Cybermen, Web of Fear, uh, seeds of De- uh, seeds of death, ark in space, into um, the world, Dalek. I mean, there's there's a, if if I go down this list, there are a lot of them that are considered uh, base underseas that would be in my you know the top near the top of my list of, of favorites. So I, I I think I think deep down I like a a, a base underseas story, even though I think sometimes when I recognize it I cringe a little bit, but obviously. It's there. It's able to tell a good story and still be a best under siege. So I think I, I think I like them too. They're just fun. Well, in summary, do you guys have anything to say about base under siege that you uh, that we didn't kind of touch on? What's your favorite? The base, base. under siege. Uh... <laughs> I knew you were going. <laughs> How can, how can I not like a story trope when it's so heavily used with Cybermen stories? <laughs> Cybermen seem to be the most used villain for a base under siege, especially in the second Doctor's era. So how can I not like a base under siege if I like Cybermen? <laughs> for me, it's either Horror Fang Rock or Dalek. They're pretty close. What about you, Sean? Yeah, I'd probably say Fang Rock. That, that that one ticks a lot of boxes for me. Um, 
fourth doctor being one of them. So that's kind of an added, an added bonus there. Um, but I think, I mean, some of the examples that they're giving here of the, uh, the, the new series one, you know, waters of Mars. Yeah. That's, that's a, great that's one a, too. that's a great one. And it's tough to not, okay. Now that I've said it, yeah, maybe, you know, um, midnight's another good one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, that's one that I don't necessarily think that you would right off the bat go to and say, oh, it's a base under siege story. Well, to be because that, it's that's more so ghost differently of the machine. telling. That's more ghost yeah, of the machine in a way. Yeah. Although again, it, it starts off very much. We've got to keep it out. out. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, oh, it's I mean, already it is, with us. It is so. an evading force. You're right. Mummy on the Orient Express. Eh. <laughs> it's an all right one. <laughs> Yeah, but we've established you just don't have any taste. (laughs) All right. Well, Sean, what do we got to come up on the schedule? This was a good topic, by the way. Nice job. Thank you. Um, Coming up next on the schedule, we uh, continue with our Mucho Master discussion, celebrating 50 years of the Master. Uh, We have from... Doctor, way back when, the Doctor Who Annual 1974, which uh, came out the year after I was born. I won't uh, won't put two and two together on that, because I'll come up with a big number. Uh, there are two short stories, Listen, The Stars, and Out of the Green Mist, and then there's a comic, The Time Thief. And those all come from that volume, which we will be discussing as part of our year-long celebration of the monster. And it's about time for a new update for the schedule to uh, (laughs) appear, I realize. So look for that soon. (laughs) We're getting there close. Well, you can look for that on Traveling the Vortex, our website, travelingthevortex.com. And if you get any value out of this podcast, why not consider putting some value back into it? You can do that by clicking on that patron link on our webpage. And consider supporting us. And thank you to those who already do. Consider giving us a five-star review wherever you subscribe to this podcast. And make sure you join in uh, the conversations on our listeners forum on Facebook. Uh, And if you're not already following us on Facebook, be sure to look for us there. We're also on Twitter. We're at Travel Vortex. Uh, You can find us those uh, places as well and and, uh, contact us and let us know. Anything else we need to do before we close this one out, fellas? All right. If not, until next time, I'm Glenn. I'm Sean. I'm Keith. Cheers. Good night, everybody. Be seeing you. Thanks for listening. You have been listening to Traveling the Vortex. Doctor Who and all of its associated programs are owned and trademarked by the BBC. No infringement is intended or implied.